Welcome to Wild and Free with Sarah and Nicole. Let's see what's on our minds today. Hi, everyone. Happy Friday for you. Happy Wednesday for us. I know. It's Wednesday. Here we go. Podcast day for us. It is. I look forward to this all week. I really, really do. I know I do, too. I know. I was so excited after the last one. After the last one, even like... I don't know, two hours later, I just thought, can we record another one right now? I know, that's what I wanted to do too. But I love that we're making ourselves actually wait each Wednesday because it stays um, fresh and authentic and we have to show up. Yes, to show up. And bring it. Yeah, and so that's kind of interesting, I guess, because it's definitely just the idea of the podcast and coming here and chatting with you and then opening up um, a discussion for others and welcoming others into the conversation. It's kept me more accountable. It has to for me also. what I'm consuming, what I'm doing, all that stuff. So well, it's funny because even last night, and I told you this on the phone, but Nikki and I were both supposed to listen to three different podcasts or types of content. And all of a sudden I realized I had only listened to one. So I frantically started to find something else to listen to while I was driving to yoga to make sure I had something to talk to Nikki about on the podcast. Right, so right. And you did it. Account, I did it. I did it. You did it. Accountability. Yeah, but, yeah, it's really good accountability just in general. And, you know, and obviously our listeners have no idea that we were talking about doing that. Um, but it's just good to have that accountability to each other. Um, and then just, you know, it, I need those. Like we were talking last week about rhythm. Mm-hmm. It's always good to include somebody else in that rhythm so that they know, like, what I want to do, what feels good, like, what what is that goal that I'm looking towards and how can yeah. we keep each other accountable in that? Yeah. So, yeah. And I think um, that's big, that self-accountability. I know for me it really is because I have a 100,000 great ideas and things that I want to do and create and consume and then life gets really busy and all of a sudden all my intentions just go out the window. Right. Um, but it's in those times of busyness where I really have to like hone in and do what I said I want to do. Right, right. And that's what this podcast is. It's like, I am doing what we said we want to do, no matter how busy I am. Right. For me, because I get busy too, and it probably is maybe a level of busyness. For me, that phrase, oh, I'm tired. Or like, oh, I just want to binge on Netflix. Or, you know, whatever it may, whatever it may be, that's where I go to is the busyness. Yeah, I'm busy, but then I get to this place where I'm like, oh. Just I just like, don't well, want to do it. Watching American Horror Story sounds so much better or, you know, something something even worse than that. Trust me, there's worse out there that I consume. <laughs> so, um, but I do feel like this has kept me accountable and um, kind of put me on like a, in a good direction. I really am enjoying it. So, too. yeah, I'm so glad we're doing it. So let's get started. Last week we pulled some cards and so we're going to do that again this week. Oh, did I get all of them? And so again, we're using the, um, you know, maybe I'll put a link for these cards <clears throat> in the show notes this time. So again, it's yeah. Elena Brower and Erica Jago's Art of Attention cards. And I'm just going to do one because I, I pre-shuffled mostly, but just Perfect. just so that you guys know. There, you hear my little shuffle. <laughs> I'm shuffling a little bit. So we're going to pull one for me, one for you, and then one for the podcast. And then all the listeners. Right. So podcast listeners. Um all that out there. Let's see what let's see what we get today. Okay, there's my shuffling. That's what that was, guys. Sorry about that. 
All right. So, you know, I'm going to pull for you first. Okay. Okay. So let's see. Energies. What does Sarah need today? Power. Power. Your respect is your greatest strength. Hmm. There you go, babe. There you go. That makes some sense. It sure does. Sarah and I were having a little conversation beforehand. It sure sounds right. Okay. It does. Um, so let's see. Energies, what do I need today? I'm going to pull for this one. Hmm. Belong. <laughs> so perfect for you. You belong here and your presence is needed. Oh, you know what's so funny about this? At the end of every single yoga class, I remind all of my students that they belong right here, mm -hmm. right now. Yep. And I've noticed lately that there are so many things that I say to my students that I need to say to myself. I was just about to say that. It's like your biggest thing is that you are worthy mm. and you do belong. And we have worth just for being on this planet <sighs> and coming back to that intention again and again. Um, that's perfect. I know. That's really good. Oh my gosh. All right, you guys. So let's, um, here's one for all of you out there. Let's Here see. We go. Here we go. Okay. It's going to be this one. Oh, how nice. Okay. So we have peace. The most valuable peace arrives with your next breath. So there you go, everyone. A little bit of peace. That's let's all so take good a, big, with... a big breath. I was thinking the same thing. Okay. <laughs> let's take a minute. That was good. Oh, it's like, how often do myself and you, well, you're a yoga teacher, so you're probably more <laughs> conscious about it, but for some of our listeners, how often do you forget to breathe? Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest things is we get frantic and we get busy and we get stuck in our emotions and which life just happens. And sometimes just sitting down and taking a moment to breathe is one of the most powerful things that we can do. I know it is for me. So right. that felt good. Yeah, me too. You know, even yeah, I am a yoga teacher. And again, it's one of those things in my class. I'm so good about talking about that breath. <laughs> you, you're amazing. Coming back to that breath, taking that deep breath, you know, getting connected. And then that was probably the first breath I had today, you know. Yeah. And I have been up. I have a three and a half year old. So I've been up since 530. You know what I mean? So that was the, like my shoulders relaxed a little bit. I got to fill up the whole body with the breath. I got to feel it. So even for those of us who, you know, us quote unquote yoga teachers, you know, <laughs> who were like all about it. Trust me, I'm far from reaching enlightenment. So I need <laughs> that reminder to breathe for sure. So that was good. So we'll do that every week. Yeah, I love that. And then for Thanksgiving to you guys. I know that this comes out on Thursday, uh, Friday, so it'll be the day after Thanksgiving. But, you know, for those of us who are still with family or maybe not yeah. with family or whatever, holidays bring up a lot of shit. <laughs> holidays sure bring up a lot of shit. And um, I was thinking about that yesterday. I so mean, it's just emotions. a charge. And it's going to be a full moon on Thanksgiving. I know. That's a lot going on. Yep. It's a lot yep. going on. So um, the little piece for the podcast and piece for all of our listeners, it's what we definitely wish for you for the holidays. Yep, as peace. Yeah. And to just be gentle on yourself. Right. If you are having a hard time, if you're going through something, if the holiday sucks, I mean, right. it's if, okay. Yeah. If you, you know, eat too much pumpkin pie 
or I'm gonna eat too much pumpkin pie. You know, I'm 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 not on the sugar train right now, so I'm I'm gonna make my own pumpkin pie. I'm so proud of you. I'm this is the again. first holiday season that I'm actually gonna let myself eat whatever it is that I want to eat. And I'm so proud of you for that because you normally don't. Wasn't it last year you took that <laughs> terrible dish? No, I. Okay, for the listeners, I um, I always fluctuate between being vegan and gluten-free and non-vegan and non-gluten-free. Vegetarian, yeah. Yeah, vegetarian, pescatarian. We'll have a whole food conversation. We will, we will have a food conversation at some And point. I know we need to get on, but I just have to say, no, I tried fine. to make an apple carrot casserole. Now, it should be easy, but I am so undomesticated and I am so bad at cooking that I didn't know you have to measure different flour like in a different oh, way that than regular what happened? flour. Yeah, I just it was like a cup of flour. So what I didn't want to use flour. What kind of flour did you use? I think I used almond flour. Oh no. Yeah. Was it so, just like so dry and so dense and so gross? It was so the most gross. disgusting thing. I mean, mm-hmm. watching every, I still have a picture from Chris, my husband, taking a bite and he almost like threw up in his mouth. And so this year, the running joke is like Sarah, please don't bring anything. Please don't uh, cook. Just don't cook. So uh, I think I'm going to buy something good today. Good for you. I just bring it. There you go. You know what? That's just as good. It's easy on yourself. It's easy on others. It'll be delicious, you know. Because it will be store-bought. <laughs> but Nikki is like um, Martha Stewart over here and <laughs> so good at cooking. And I don't she's... know if it's quite Martha Stewart. I think it's Martha Stewart from the dollar store. That's what I'm going to say. I'm the dollar store Martha Stewart. I love it. So I'm the dollar store, the smart and final, the Winco Martha (laughs) Stewart. That's what I'm going to say. So I I try to make it happen that way. I'm also sugar, gluten, and dairy-free. So that's also a whole other level of it that goes on there. But again, we'll talk about that some other time. So... Um, so let's do a little check-in. Let's see how we're doing this week. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? No, you go first, sister. I kind of want to go first. I never do, but I kind of want to. I'm kinda... you, I can feel it. Do can it. You You're spunky. Yes. You're like, I I'm am. still drinking my coffee, waking up. You're like on fire. So Again, I've been up over. since 530. <laughs> yeah. Without breath. Without breath. That was the first. I took that first breath and it energized me. I know. No, and I have my little English breakfast tea here this morning and I... I did put two bags in, so there we go. Sorry, Sarah. Sorry, podcasters. <laughs> That's what's going on here. You know, actually, and I, caffeine really affects me because it was a few weeks ago. I was teaching um, a yoga class at the studio, and I teach power yoga. So I, you know, on a, bring any, it like I bring it like we yep. bring it on any given day. We bring it, and I have this one student who's super intuitive, and um. And I had a little extra time with my husband that morning, so we had dropped Bodhi off at school, and then, like, we went and got a coffee, and then I went to the studio, and I taught my class. And afterward, the student walks out, and he was like, did you snort espresso before class? (laughs) And I was like, I actually, I didn't snort it, but I had some espresso before class. So, like, I, because I normally have, like, maybe one or two cups in the morning. And I don't drink it throughout the day. Yeah. And who? He felt it. And so I, I can feel it right now. A bit. <laughs> yeah, I feel it too. You can see it. It's so good. All okay, right. so, so take over. Tangent. You do yeah, it. Yeah, there's my you tangent. Go. So my check-in. Let's see my check-in. So, um, yeah, Thanksgiving's tomorrow. I'm really excited about Thanksgiving. I'm going to go do a little bit of yoga in the morning and then head over to my mom's. Um, 
But this last week, we did make that commitment to ourselves to start consuming, you know, like, what are we consuming? What, you know, get, getting more intentional about the stuff that I'm consuming, um, whether it be food or really content-wise. So podcasts, movies, books, that sort of thing. Um, and I did watch the season finale of American Horror Story. Oh, Have you watched Mike. it yet? Yes. Okay, we'll talk about that. That's got to be another podcast. Because, Why am like, I blinking? Maybe I didn't watch it. Maybe you didn't watch it. Okay, so we won't. Watch, I won't talk about it because I don't want spoilers to go. Okay, out. we, we have to have wait. a whole. We're gonna do a whole episode on the, on the TV shows that we watch. Yeah. Right. Okay. Anyways, keep going because yeah. now all I want to do is talk about American Horror Story. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll move on from that. Um, but I did get to listen to a few amazing podcasts this week. So um, for me, I'm all, I love uh, the idea of slow living. So Brooke McClary, I think is her name. She has a podcast called The Slow Home Pod or Slow Home Podcast. Um, she's, I think, either from New Zealand or Australia. And um, the podcast I listened to was all about what it looks like to start to make the transition to more simplified living, creating more time in your life, kind of getting away from that idea, kind of, you know, the consumer materialistic idea of um, life to taking more time for yourself, setting yourself up, you know, smaller home, simpler, um, simpler schedule, more eye contact, more Mm -hmm. um, time with your family, more time with your friends. Um, And so that was really good because I'm currently working on values you know what are my values what are my core values um and i remember talking to my mentor saying can time be a value oh god i need that and it can and it actually is turning into that phrase huga remember a few years ago it was all about huga everyone was about huga yeah um you know what it's one of my values again what is huga Huga, it's like the um god i have it on my phone i'm totally gonna mess it up and when you know i I have all of these books about just in the living room um, but it's cozy living. Okay. It's the idea of time, community, good food. Um, like it, you know, it's a, uh, like either a Swedish or, um, a, a Norwegian kind of idea or thought of really, I don't know. I think of it as like that hibernation, you know, taking that some time. Huga in my life. H-Y-G-G-E. I'm all about it. And so that's one of my new values. And that's what I, I feel like this podcast is about. Um, when I think of Huga, I think of intentional, simplistic living. Um, and that's what I really want to gravitate towards. So I love that podcast. Definitely check out Brooke McCleary. She has so many tips and she has so many people. She interviews people on her podcast. Um, and so she brings people in that have great tips and suggestions for simplifying everything from your home to organizing to your finances all of it I love it yeah it's really great so I listened to that one and then um uh, I know we weren't going to talk about it but I did listen to Citizen Well so Citizen Well is a podcast by Carrie Kelly she's based in New York she was the um I believe she was the executive director of Off the Mat Into the World it's a yoga nonprofit with Sean Corr and Hala Corey and Suzanne Sterling and they're all about uh, yoga and social justice yoga and equality um and she's since moved from Off the Mat Into the World to this citizen well organization that is um activist and inclusionist driven and I, I saw her at Wellspring a few weeks ago. I got the opportunity to go to Wanderlust first um, convention called Wellspring. 
and I got the opportunity. Which looked amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. It was such an amazing opportunity. I have to say, I got a full scholarship to be able to go. It was a very expensive yeah. event, um, and I think that's probably one of the only critiques that I have of it is if we're going to have these conversations about wellness about so, and, social and social justice. justice and having, you know, panels called, you know, changing the face of wellness. Let's make it yeah. accessible to people. But so they pe- did offer a lot of scholarships that's and great. I got one of those scholarships. So that's how yeah. I was able to go. And it was here in Palm Springs and it had to travel to it. So, um, but I met Carrie Kelly there and the way that she talked about, um, as a white woman, the way she showed up in a space and talked about um, racial issues, feminism, um, uh, intersectional feminism, intersectionality. I just really respected how she showed up in that space and held her space. And so I was like, I'm going to start listening to her podcast. So I did listen to her podcast with Marianne Williamson. Oh, awesome. So good. Yeah. That's a whole other topic that we've decided we're not going to talk about. Not just not yet. Just not yet. Marianne Williamson for president. I'm going to do my research. Nikki is supposed to do her research. I'm going to. I'm going to do we my research have a poll. <laughs> on I, I, this. I'm, so. I'm a political scientist, so I'm like, everybody do research. <laughs> Please do research. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm going to do research on this, and then we will get back to it at a later date. But um, I also actually, at Wellspring, I got also the opportunity to see Marianne Williamson live um, and speaking. And as I was sitting there listening to her speak, I looked over to my friend next to me, and I said, this woman is running for something. I know. I remember and then, yeah, that. and I called and I told mm-hmm. you. And then two weeks later, she announced her exploratory campaign yep. for running for president. So I knew it. I saw it. I loved it. I was inspired. We'll go there sometime. But in the meantime, there are two podcasts you can check out with Marion Williamson. One, I'm sure there's more. But the ones that I've listened to are um, Carrie Kelly, Citizen Well, back in April. And she also was on Russell Brand's Under the Skin recently. Actually, coincidentally enough, um, recorded at Wellspring. Yeah. <laughs> so. You can listen to that one, too. And then um, I did also listen to Under the Skin with Russell Brand and his conversation with Gabor Mate. Who is my favorite And so drug researcher and writer. Right. And Sarah's everything. done a lot of research on Ga- uh, Gabor Mate. And mm-hmm. so I thought that'd be kind of cool for me to listen to it because I don't know as much. And then yeah. we can kind of have this dialogue and conversation about it. And I fell in love with that man. I know. He's I amazing. I took so many notes on that podcast and that for me, is actually was kind of driving the rest of our discussion today. I know. Is that. So we'll get into more. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get into more of that later. And then there was other one other thing that I decided I want to talk about. What? I know. We talked about it a little bit last night. And usually I'm like, nope, this is not something I talk about. This is not something that I bring up. I'm so happy you're going to talk about it. Because uh, we brought it up last time. We did bring actually. it up last time. We did bring and it up last time. And it's the way you ended. Right. Right. Yeah, it's the way that I ended my podcast last time. So I have been struggling with secondary infertility for the last two and a half years. Yeah. Two and a half years, secondary infertility. I um, got pregnant last January 2017. Then I lost the baby in March 2017. And damn it, when you know, haven't been able to get pregnant ever since. So hmm. um, my husband and I have literally tried every method under the sun that is not <clears throat> medically directed. <laughs> we have not gone down the medical path, but every book you could buy, every test I could take, I've gotten familiar with my body in ways that I never, ever intended. Um, <laughs> and nothing has come out of it. And so 
We, um, I finally went to the doctor yesterday and got a referral to a fertility specialist here in Palm Springs. Um, and we're going to do that end of January, beginning of February. So we're going to do a few more things over the next, next two months. Um, but it was interesting cause I got, you know, the ovulation strips and, um, I'm supposed to be, you know, this is the time that's supposed to be most fertile and I'm just not. Yep. I'm just not. So you know, supposed to be quote unquote, we'll see what happens. I'm just going to keep testing and going forward. But that also kind of, um, you know, that's always there. That's all, it's always there. It's always just beneath the surface. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it, I, I mute it a little bit. The, the pain that comes along with, in, especially secondary infertility. I mean, any kind of infertility is really painful. So I shouldn't say, especially for me, I have secondary infertility. Um, and it's always just below the surface and it's painful and it's hard to talk about. And people who haven't experienced it don't really get it either. So it's hard mm-hmm. to talk about. Um, but I don't hear about it talked. I don't hear people talking about it a lot. So I just wanted to bring it up and say this is something that I'm struggling with and moving forward. And if you struggle with it as well, I love you and I hear you and I get it. I get it. It's rough. Um, and it's just one of those things that, you know, it's not just going to happen when you let go. You know what I mean? It's not just yeah. going to happen when you stop stressing about it. You know, <laughs> it's not yeah. how it works. So those of you who have struggled with secondary infer- or infertility at all understand what I'm saying. So anyway, I'm on the path. I'm on the road. Um, I just want to open it up as a discussion here because I really do want to create a space from transparency and authenticity for people to know Um uh, that, you know, all of our struggles are real. We all have different struggles and they're all welcomed. They're all welcomed. We show up brutally human as we said last time. Right. And I'm so proud of you. It's, it's not funny. I need to stop using that word. I realize I use that word as like a transition word a lot. Um, it's funny when it's really not, but last night I was talking to Nikki and she like very subtly said, Oh, I went to the I went to the doctor for my fertility and I was like, what are you like, how have you not been talking about this? We talk about, we talk about everything and we talk every day and, and she's just been silent, like <laughs> radio silence about this. And I'm not going to press it because you, yeah. I've never had a baby. Um, and I'm not a mom and I, and I don't understand what that feels like. But what I do understand is what it's like to go through something that is so painful and we each have our cross to bear, but I'm so proud of you and I'm excited that you talked about it and you're bringing it up because I think that that's, for me, why we're doing this podcast. It's, it's great because we love to talk to each other and we have a lot of topics and we can go off on tangents and we still need to talk about hair, but then we can also show up very authentic, very honest, and just show our humanness to the listeners because it gives them permission to do the same. And one of my biggest core values is like authentic honesty about our issues because it really is the thing that sets us free. Right. Uh, that's exactly and you right. know, I'm here for you on this journey and I know I can't ever fully comprehend how horrifically painful it is, but mm. we've, We'll ride it out because yeah. that's what we do. Thanks, babe. Well, I appreciate that. And so, yeah, and I did just want to talk about it and bring it up and, um, you know, just put it out there and open the discussion for people. So <laughs> there was that. And then, um, you know, I'm actually celebrating 11 years of sobriety yeah, this week. you are. So that's the other thing that's coming up. And we actually talked about it a little bit during um, when we were talking about Thanksgiving that a lot of shit goes on 
Yeah. My first year sober, I had it like 11 months sober and I actually ended up relapsing on Thanksgiving. So did the you? Ho- I did. Yeah. yeah. I relapsed on Thanksgiving 2007. Yeah. So I get it. Yeah. The holidays are rough. I remember that yep. holiday and it was like, I real I drank, I drank, I drank. There were three days in a row where I just was like, I'm drinking, I'm drinking, I'm drinking. And then, um, I got the gift of, um, desperation on that third day and we'll get there later. But, uh, so yeah, so the holidays are hard. And so if you are struggling with whatever it may be, you know, emotions, recovery, alcoholism, drugs, drug addiction, food addiction, you know, shopping addiction, yeah, divorce. family, just like if you have to deal with your family's charge. Right, right. This is a really, you know, there's a lot of triggers this time of year for people to participate in whatever coping mechanisms we've been given. Um, and so just, again, like Sarah said before, just be gentle on yourself because it's, it's a rough time. So that was a really long check-in for me. I was trying to like move it up, move it fast. So, um, but I want to move on to you. I want to move on to you now. I'll be quicker. No, No, don't, don't be quicker. Don't be quicker. Please don't. Because last time I was longer too. No, I usually talk a lot, but But when I get on podcast. you are much more of a talker than I am. I know. And on on here, I actually talk more. Wait, because you need to. No, my, whatever. Okay, you go. You go. That's good. Okay, let's see. So, what did I consume? How was my week? So, I had a crazy week. Um, You know, and and honestly, I have a a crazy life um, a lot of the time. My entire world, and we're going to get to this because I think Nikki and I are both wanting to like jump into our next conversation, which is going to be recovery. Um, but my entire life is recovery based and I love it. I live for it, but it comes with a lot. It really does. It comes with just a lot. Um, and so it's funny because I feel like things that go on in each of my week is always so crazy and out there. Um, but I'll get to my weekend once we start to kind of shift the conversation to recovery because that was intense. But besides that, it's really important for me to take care of myself in the line of work that I'm in. Um, and I'm hyper aware of that and I fail most of the time. I'm going to take that word out of there. I know, but some fail, you know, I know. No, I, (laughs) I hate that word too. You're right. I don't fail, but but I'm, I'm working on showing up for myself because like Nikki, who brings it in yoga and is like the most supportive, caring, loving guide. I mean, honestly, her yoga classes are absolutely amazing. And I'm going to just say that every single podcast, but I do the same thing in my line of work. And I'm always like inspiring people to be better and to take care of yourself and to live in the solution. (laughs) And then sometimes I just want to come home and hide from the world. And I also want to binge Netflix (laughs) and I want (laughs) to watch American Horror Story or worse things like Outlander. Um, I don't know if that's worse. It's probably better. It's probably better. (laughs) But that's real. So um, this week, ever since I came back from Fiji, during my trip to Fiji, my honeymoon, I got really intentional again about taking care of myself and continuing to learn and grow and expand my own knowledge and read things that I just want to read that aren't academic, that aren't Mm system-based, that aren't pilot programs or research. So I picked up, I've been on a Jen Sincero, I think I might be butchering her name, Kick, but she's a New York Times best author and she's a life coach. 
Um, and she's really well known for You're a Badass, the yellow book. So I picked that book up in Fiji and I just fell in love with it. And I've been really reluctant to reading it um, because it's so self-help and it's almost, it got so popular that I just didn't want to read it for some reason. And once I did, I was so immersed in her writing because she's funny and yeah. she brings the humanness into the ridiculousness of self-help, which I'm also consider myself partially in. That's right. Um, and she just gives the reader permission to like own your greatness and your silliness, but mm. to show up anyways. And so, I mean, I could go on and on about that book, but it really just, it reignited um, some of the basic tools that I've used, especially early on in my journey to bring those back around to where I am today. Mm, you know, so keeping my frequency high, making sure that I'm not letting that um, negative talk take over, focusing on what my goals are, but really believing that they're here and owning that, like, I'm allowed to have a good life. Like I'm allowed to do great things. I'm allowed to own my greatness and I don't need to live in any shame or weird thoughts around those things. So right. that was fantastic. And after that book, I picked up her book on you're a badass at making money. Oh, this one is so good. So this good. I, I've so never read it, but it sounds so good. And I really want to read it. I'm afraid well, though, kind of the same. It's one of those things. I don't want to pick it up because it means I'm putting that frequency out there. And there, it means there's it. like work to be done. Yeah. Right. So I'm going right. to like do a little dirty secret for Nick and I both because I think we share some of this. We have funny things with making money. Yeah, we do. And I'll talk more about my own. Um, but I will overwork myself and undervalue mm-hmm. myself. And I work because I'm a certified, I work in system changes as my job um, in development and outreach and external affairs. But I also am a certified professional recovery coach and a certified professional coach. And I don't actually um, work with clients. I just work for free <laughs> with people because mm-hmm. I won't I won't take money. Um, and I, it's just funny because I, I just undervalue myself. And so that is something that I'm working on saying it's actually okay to make money for things that I do. That's right. And looking at my relationship with money. So I actually, this is how much I like this woman. It's kind of a workbook. You know how in like self-help books you'll be reading it and it's like, stop now and write down the 10 things or the 10 mantras. I always skim over that. You don't actually really do it. It's like, that's like the actual help part. That's like the actual work part. Like, oh, that's nice. That's a good suggestion. Thanks. I'm going to turn to page four now. So (laughs) I never do that. Like, that's just me being transparent. I don't ever do it. So I actually have been doing it. Oh, I <laughs> and so love it. I've been writing and I wrote a letter to money. Oh. Um, and it was fascinating because on one level, like, and this is getting honest, like I love to travel and I love nice things. Um, I'm a Taurus and then my rising and my moon is Libra. So I'm controlled completely by Venus, which for people who are into astrology, that's like nice things and beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really deny that part of myself cause I'm also completely fine living, you know, barefoot in a village in Africa, but, um, I love to travel and I realized that in Fiji and I stayed in nice places and I, and I loved it and it felt really good. So 
simultaneously, I love nice things. I really want to travel. I want to continue my philanthropy work. Um, I want to support other people. I want to support other like artists and local business and, you know, nonprofits. Mm -hmm. So I have so many things that I want to do and they all require money. But yet my conversation and my feelings about money are like, it's evil, you know, that money is the root of all problems. And so I have this very um, strange relationship with money. And that's what this book talks about is like, on one hand, you're like, I hate money. It's evil. It's bad. People do bad things with it. So how are you actually going? Like, that's what you're putting out there. Right. That's what you're putting out about money yeah. into the world. How horrible and dirty and nasty it is. So how are you supposed to actually bring in money if to that's do good your relationship with it is yeah it so i have bipolar bad. i have a bipolar relationship with money you sure and do i mean i do too though i i do too because you know that's exactly the same way that i think it's exactly i know it that's yeah. exactly right so writing the letter and really seeing that was like whoa at the at the end of the day it's like it's people you know as people we decide what to do with currency of all kind with human currency mm. with financial currency and so what are we doing with the currency in our life our time is currency right. all of these things are currency so so i don't i could keep going on cuz i love this woman but i'm that's what i'm working on i'm halfway done with this book you're about us at making money i haven't been able to really read it as much as i wanted to this week but i'm being intentional and i'm doing the workbook that's um, so good. Oh, and I love that you're sharing it because I think this is such an important discussion to have um, around money, especially is. I think for people of our generation, you know, the millennials and what do they call Like I'm in this really weird group called the Zennials. Like, I'm, I'm a, like I'm right on. I'm right on that. But there's different. OK, so I was looking this up the other day because there's different time brackets for different generations. Right. So there's but we're I older think... millennials or younger Zennials. I'm still a millennial. I'm a Xennial, so I'm right okay. in that, like, I'm not Generation X. Okay. And I'm not really a Millennial. Yep. So I'm in this place of, like, the Xennial. older Millennial. You're an I'm older 30. Millennial, right? Yeah. So I'm a little, a little older than you are. So... Three years. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm in this little space of the Xennial. So, but it's, anyway... Um, yes, we got, we got off on tangents. We sure do. But I do think that there is this conversation with money that maybe we're not having. I you know, agree. I know for me, because, uh, what, whatever it may be, whatever values were instilled with you as a child, whether it was coming from like a low economic standpoint and viewing money yep. as scarcity or as power or as freedom or whether, um, money, was a way of finding love, especially if you were maybe on a higher end of the economic yeah. spectrum, um, looking at money as love or as um, a way of finding approval or whatever it may be. So there's these conversations that I think we're not having with money sometimes. Yeah, the so, strange relationships. We're yeah, all in a relationship, relationship with money. Yeah, exactly. So I, I love opening up that door. And I'm going to make, I just decided as I was talking, I'm going to do links to all of the stuff we're talking about. So I'll do like links in the show notes. So if anyone's interested in what we're talking about, um, I'll add those into the show notes. So they'll be on SoundCloud. Um, and hopefully iTunes soon. Hopefully iTunes soon. I did submit. They just haven't gotten back to us yet. I know that they'll, they'll It'll get back to fine. us, but we'll be on iTunes soon. <clears throat> so at some point they'll be in those show notes, but definitely on SoundCloud. But I love okay. that you shared your journey with this book. I know. Excited so about just, it. I'll run through the other things quicker because I, I went on a tangent on that one. No, 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 it was good. Um, 
So the podcast, I listened to two podcasts. The one was Yoga Girl. Hell yeah. I did it. I listened yeah. to yeah, I love Yoga Girl. I have no shame in my game. Um, I, I like her a lot. But I listened to the one about the inner critic mm. where she interviewed all of her students and each woman got on and shared her inner critic. And I'm just going to be very transparent. I did not listen to the whole thing because um, I got the gist of it halfway through. Um, But basically it was like you're either in your inner critic or you're your best friend and that dichotomy. And what I loved the most about it was hearing women from all over the world say the same damn thing that all of us say, like getting really, really honest and vulnerable and saying that they don't feel good enough. They don't feel worthy. They don't feel like they deserve success. They don't feel lovable. They don't feel skinny enough. They don't feel, um, you know, any of the things that our inner critic and that part of the brain will tell us. Mm -hmm. And then, and I love that. I just love when people, especially women show up authentically and own their shit. So that was just my fun one. And then last night, I listened to Dr. Cooper, and it's um, I think it's called Upwire Your Brain, and he's a neuroscientist, ah. and I love neuroscience. Okay, so I am like a, I love neuroscience. I actually wanted to get my PhD in neuroscience, especially behind behavior and addiction, um, but that hasn't happened yet. Who knows? But so it was fascinating because it was all about small rules and big results. Mm. And I, I, I say this a lot, like the simplest things or the littlest things that we do have the biggest impact in our life. And he went into this idea about the amygdala, the most like ancient part of our brain, which is the fear center. And it's also where all of our anxiety lives. But our amygdala has not caught up with the reality that we live in today and the world we live in today. So anytime there's change, the amygdala sends off like anxiety and fear, Mm. like, oh, no, bad. The lion is out to kill us, but there's no lion. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not, there's nothing actually physically um, dangerous in front of us, but our brain perceives anything that's going to alter that part as a fear-based thought. Mm-hmm. And so it was really saying this is how a lot of us get stuck in negative routines, mm. in um, negative relationships and negative thoughts, because it's actually scarier sometimes for our brain to change than right. it is to stay in that because our brain also processes negative emotions like 10 times stronger than positive. And it's a survival mechanism to really pay attention to the negative things in our surroundings right. so that we can live. Yeah. But it doesn't make sense for today's world, at least the world we have privilege to live in. Yeah. You know, here in the and Western civilization, in the Western right. civilization, we have great privilege. Um, but so it really gets people stuck. So that was fabulous. And, and a couple of his examples was that he has a team of scientists and business owners and he does a lot, but you're only allowed 60 seconds of negative negativity on something. So it's good to embrace it, to feel it, but you get one minute. Mm, because if you go I love long, that. I know, so you can bitch for a minute. Yeah. And, and I think that's great. It's like acknowledge it. It's real. Your feelings are real. It's okay to feel that way. But if you start to go longer, you will all of a sudden find yourself days later or weeks later, still in the negativity that happened a week ago. Right. Um, so right. once you 
give yourself 60 seconds, then you're able to get into the solution. Yeah. Yeah. That, and I was going to say that actually sounds like a really good segue. It totally does. Is that a good segue? Are you, do you have anything, do you have anything else you want to check in on? No. Is that a good segue? Yep. Okay. Because that sounds a lot like what we do in recovery. It sure does. At least that sounded like some recommendations and suggestions that I got from people when I was early in recovery is to, I remember, uh, one of my mentors early in recovery would say, you get a day, Mm -hmm. you get one day to feel like this, feel it, write about it, get angry, cry, do whatever you need to do. You get a day and then we're going to move on tomorrow. Yeah. We're going to work on it. We're going to work through it. We're going to take yeah. a look at it. Um, so, but it, that, it, that totally reminds me of some of the suggestions that I got in recovery, like especially early yeah. recovery and even now. So that's, that's great. And I yeah. think it is a good segue. So we are talking about recovery today. Are you sure you feel good checked in? I didn't mean to cut you off, but it just felt oh my like God, such a good I, segue. No, I totally is. Okay. You think that's okay? I feel good. Okay. You feel good? Yeah. All right. Um, so yeah, today we're going to talk about recovery. Both Sarah and I are, I think I'm going to, I'm going to say we're longer ish term recovery. I think we can say we're in longer recovery because technically anything well in the science after five years is considered like long-term recovery, long-term recovery. Okay. So, and you have what you have eight years Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I'm coming up on 11. So we're going to say we're in Mm -hmm. long-term recovery at this point. Yeah. Um, can and I just laugh how like even that was hard for you? <laughs> there, we're going to get into recovery because there's a lot. Okay, for people who are not in recovery um, or not in a 12-step program, you probably are laughing that we're having a hard time even like bringing this topic up. But there's a lot of um, charged energy and emotions around talking about your story or yourself in regards to recovery and sobriety. Especially on a public level. Mm-hmm. Especially on a public level. So before I want to get, before we really get into it, for those people who are in recovery, I want to let you know I had a dream about <laughs> the 11th tradition last night, people. Okay. So I've, I, I've been in recovery for 11 years. And for those of you who are in recovery, I've been involved. I've, I've, I studied the literature. Um, I've done general service work um, throughout the twelve-step community. I've studied the steps and the traditions. I've had people walk me through those that knew way more than I did, and I'm very aware that it is a program of um, attraction rather than promotion. And we remain anonymous at the level of press, radio, and films. I totally get that, and I acknowledge it. And um, in this setting, what Sarah and I are doing. And, and the reason why we're talking about this is some of the feedback that we got from people after mm-hmm. the first podcast, they, they wanted to know more. They wanted to have more of a discussion about recovery. And so Sarah and I are just going to show up. We're going to be transparent. We're going to be honest. And we're going to talk about 12 step programs. Yeah. Because both about- of us have experience with 12 step programs. Um, you know, and that's the reality is, is that for me was the bedrock to freedom in my early sobriety. But I have to make sure it's really clear for myself um, personally. I did a lot of other things, right. and so I didn't just do the twelve-step program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have, and I always say this to people: when you're getting sober or you're recovering from something, you you have to have a toolbox. Yeah. Okay. So you have a toolbox, and then you add the tools that work for you, so you can build your life again. And it's really dangerous to have a toolbox with one tool in it. 
And so I want to put that out there is that, um, yeah, there's no way to talk about our stories and there's no way to honestly talk about like how I got sober without referencing one of my tools, which was the 12 step program. Right. And looking at the full picture, you know, looking at the full picture of what, um, the 12 step program looked like the benefits of it. And then I'm going to say it, some of the faults of the program, because there are, there really are. So, you know, me too, you know, Sarah and I both, our recovery began with 12 step programs. When I first got sober in 2006, um, you know, I, I was suggested to attend 12 step recovery programs. Um, (laughs) honestly, as, um, a requirement from the state of Washington for me not to go to jail. Um, (laughs) and, uh, so I started going to um, different recovery meetings and I found uh, resistant at first. And then I did find a camaraderie and a fellowship that I hadn't quite experienced before. Because for me, you know, I was a drug addict and alcoholic from the moment I started. Yeah. From the moment that I picked up that drink at the age of 12, and then from the moment I started doing drugs shortly after at the age of 13, it was like I had found, I had found it, yeah. and I didn't know that I was looking for it. You know, it was like I found the answer. I had found the answer on, you know, how to deal with my emotions and deal with my uh, trauma that I had already experienced as a 12-year-old, um, and uh, I was really resistant to letting that go. And I didn't have a lot of other people around me before being in recovery that could relate to me. Exactly. There weren't a whole lot of other people around me that understood. So instead of saying, yeah, I get it. God, I do the same thing. A lot of people are like, why do you act the way you do? And are you crazy? Are you crazy? Oh, and don't even get me started there. I can't even tell you how many mental institutions I was shoved into as a kid. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have, there was no relatability. There was no like, yes, I get you. Someone that could look me in this mm-hmm. eyes and say, you know what? I drink the same way. I yeah. do drugs the same way. And then one of the things that for me, 12 step recovery programs did was give me another, like another, like a group of people that finally got it. Well, and I want to jump in here for a second yeah, because yeah, yeah. I think ultimately when we're healing, when we're growing, and it doesn't matter if you're getting sober or you're overcoming a divorce or a miscarriage right, right, or right. trauma, the key element is connection. Yeah, that connection. And it's someone about else saying connection. We talk about it in the Me Too movement. Yeah. It's that Me Too. Yeah. Me Too. Yep. Me Too. And yeah. when, when we can connect and when you can connect to a group of people, you feel safe and you feel seen and you drop the shame and the stigma and you can actually start to show up because you're not living in fear of what these people are going to think. You're not living in your, in your, in your shit, in your dark secrets, in the closet, quite literally when you find people to connect to and relate to, you are walking out into the light and you are able to fully stand with yourself for probably the first time in some people's entire lives ever. And I know that that mm-hmm. was my hundred hundred percent experience. And I think I mentioned it last time on the podcast that before I came into recovery, I was not a social being. Yep. I didn't have friends. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have friends. I was untrustworthy. I was, um, I was volatile. I was, mm-hmm. I was 
violent, like physically yeah. violent with I people I didn't know. Yep, I know. You and I both have this violent. The, the listeners don't realize that, but there's violence. In no, us. violence, anger, mm-hmm. trauma. Mm-hmm. Trauma. Trauma is underneath all of it is trauma. But before I got sober, um, I didn't know how to be a social being. And then when I did enter into recovery and people started to show me how to, like how Sarah beautifully put it, step into that light and be a person, I got to learn how to be a social being again. For the first yeah. time, I literally had to have somebody walk me through how to make a friend. Yeah. How to walk up to somebody and say, hi, I'm Nicole. How are you? And I'm yeah. interested in you. You yeah. know, I remember one of the one of the first times, um, I, you know, one of my friends, and she's still my friend to, to this day, but I, I remember her calling me and asking me if I wanted to go hiking. <laughs> and I thought, what do you... I don't understand. Because I... I, a, I was not, and I never went outdoors before recovery. Like, why yeah. would I go outdoors? There's sunshine out there, and I'm, you know, a crazy meth addict. Why would I want to yeah. be in the sunshine? <laughs> um, and so I, I didn't go outdoors, but I also didn't know how to create connection and community with other people. Yeah. And um, that woman, I actually ended up being the maid of honor in her wedding, and we're still friends to this day. Yeah. And that was something that the 12-step recovery programs offered me. So I think... Um, especially initially fellowship. I also didn't, you know, me, I had no respect for authority. Mm-hmm. I never, you know, I dropped out of high school very young. I moved out of the house when I was 15. So I'd been on my own for a very long time. And um, another thing that the 12 step recovery programs gave me was structure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a structure. And, um, you know, tools and principles mm-hmm. to begin to live by and things to yeah. be able to, you know, sort out some of the reasons why I drank and I used. So yeah. what, what, what about you? I feel like I've been talking for a long time. So. No, you're good. Okay. Um, my introduction to this. So I, I like Nikki also was, um, I mean, I knew I was an alcoholic and a drug addict from the moment I started drinking and doing drugs. And my first encounter with alcohol, um, I was, God, I can't remember if I was 13 or 14, but I was right around there. And I got alcohol poisoning and I was slipped a date rape drug mm. at the same time. And so I ended up in the hospital and I was found, um, I don't remember if I was found naked. I don't remember all the details of the story, but um, I was found in a very bad condition and I was taken to the hospital and I woke up under the hospital lights and I realized like, oh my God, like I have something inside of me that is so scary mm. um, that it terrified me. It terrified me at 13 to realize that I could put myself in a situation like that and I could, you know, take nine shots of tequila yeah. and you know, get slipped a day rape drug. So I never did a drug until I was 19 years old because I was, I, my mom always said, you were born a drug addict because I have a lot of family members, as I've shared before, that um, have addiction problems. And then the first time I was shot up with heroin and cocaine, um, uh, it was on. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it was on. I mean, I remember dropping to my knees mm-hmm. and I was throwing up like violently and I loved it. Yeah. Like I loved the near death 
total rush of insanity, um, it did it for me. Yeah. You know, and from that moment on, it was like that needle was going to be in every part of my body until it killed me. Um, And it did. And I'll give more bits and pieces of my story through this podcast. But but it's the insanity that really kind of tied up um, my love for drugs and alcohol. It was like the insanity in me and the trauma Mm -hmm. and the hardships that I had experienced because I had a lot of trauma young, including, you know, witnessing somebody um, commit suicide in front of me. So I had extreme trauma. Um, But... I found my way into the 12-step program when I was in one of the various sober livings that I was in, and it was required that I go. And I walked in, and sometimes I hear people say that they walk into the rooms and they feel like they were home. Oh, God. No. Oh, Oh, fuck no. No. I walked in, and I was like, get me out here. (laughs) What? What the hell is this because I don't want any of this like yeah I don't want any of this and I'm a drug addict you got to understand people oh drug addict right so I am you know so I so I was like six months into my recovery and I was diagnosed with hepatitis C when I ended up in the hospital after I tried to commit suicide um I woke up and yeah I had some lofty diagnosis so hepatitis C uh, mesonomic artery syndrome and a contracted gallbladder. And so I was very, very sick. And for people who don't understand hepatitis C, the worst thing you can do is drink alcohol. I repeat, the worst thing you can do is drink alcohol. And a lot of recovering heroin addicts still think they can drink alcohol. And those with hepatitis C, um, it is very dangerous. Mm. So I'm sitting here and I no longer have hepatitis C. That'll be a different story. But at the point, at the time I did. And my liver enzymes were like 700 times um, what they should be. So I didn't know if I had to have a liver transplant. It was a nightmare. And I had jaundice and track marks. And um, and I still thought I could drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I still was sneaking out of my sober living, drinking alcohol, and going to meetings and lying. Mm. And God, no, I was not an alcoholic. And I really had a hard time with drugs mm-hmm. and myself and my ex. Yeah. And and I'm going to stop you there for a second. And cause I want you to continue, but I think yeah. that's a really tricky one. That's a really tricky mm-hmm. one because for me, I, because of my addiction as well, I knew I was, I knew I was an alcoholic. Yep. I knew that I couldn't safely drink. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't stop. And I started, I, I didn't care yep. for me. I didn't care, but for me, it was the drug addiction. It was the yeah. meth, you know, the meth is really bad. Yeah. You know, and that's my problem. Is yeah. I really, I have, I have this drug addiction. It's not yeah. like the alcohol was like a given. Yeah. It was like a, you know, that's my solution. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people have that issue where they are, you know, what do they call it? Dual diagnosis or Coke and Coke. Like, which whatever. is, it's, it's, po- it's poly drug abuse or alcoholism. Yeah, but it's all of it. It's all the same yeah. thing. So you do drugs and you drink alcohol um, and you get rid of the drugs and you think I'm at least, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I can still drink. Mm-hmm. I'm still okay. I can, I still have this thing. And, um, like I have, and you're conflict, not, and you're not, and you're not. Well, and I need to just like interject for a second. Cause when we're talking about addiction, um, we want to classify it and we want to put things in its nice little box. I'm an alcoholic or I'm right. a meth addict or I'm a heroin addict or I'm a cocaine addict. And we wear these like little badges of honor and, um, shame simultaneously on, right. on what it is. But 
addictions in your prefrontal cortex, which quite literally is the part of your brain that regulates patterns, behaviors, mm-hmm. memory, mm-hmm. and it doesn't distinguish. The only thing different is like your dopamine and serotonin levels get affected stronger by some drugs and alcohol than others. So it doesn't matter if you have a sex addiction, a gambling addiction, right. an alcohol, a food, a drug, it's the same part of your brain. That's triggered. It's interesting because yeah. this podcast I was listening to with Gabor Mate, that's exactly what he talks oh, about because so he works with um, heroin addicts. In, I mean, he works with all types of addictions, but he would, and in his books, he said he would compare his shopping addiction to heroin addiction. And people who aren't addicts or alcoholics would say, how in the world can you compare these two? And they mm-hmm. said, he said it's the same thing. And he describes the, um, addiction as an attempt to regulate your inner state through external behaviors. That's exactly right. And that yeah. is what addiction is. So it's yeah. anything, and we can fit anything into that. And so, and yeah. what he says is, you know, we lived in a tra- we lived in a traumatized and addicted world. And we society, do society, and that's exactly that's exactly. And we what use it is. things, and it's a solution. So you can use anything that's going to numb your pain, anything that's going to make you feel connected to something. We're going to use and abuse, and and then your brain, quite literally, your brain starts to create new pathways, which furthers the addiction. Right. So, um, any I'm but sorry, I so interrupted I ended, you, but no, I just you're wanted, fine. It's I, a good I, I wanted to. I wanted people to point to that out because that. people do need to understand that addiction is addiction is addiction. We can yes. all, we can, and once I got sober from drugs and alcohol, trust me, I was addicted to chocolate. I was addicted to That's sugar. I was addicted to, to working out. I men, was addicted to men. In early oh, recovery. God. God, let's tell, I mean, we uh, could have a whole podcast on that. We could that. have a whole month talking about love addiction and sex addiction. Oh. And, and I also so you had can a fit love anything addiction. in there. So anything. And part of my heroin addiction and my cocaine addiction really was my love addiction. So it's multifaceted. So right. I, so my experience with the 12 step program, um, once I finally hit my like spiritual bottom with alcohol, I realized I was ready to fully commit to my path of total sobriety and abstinence. And I walked into a meeting and I remember I got up and I said, I am going to die and I was given the de- gift of desperation, and nothing crazy happened. I mean, I was in a vegetable state coma, in seizures, hooked to machines, and in a, a diaper in a wheelchair, and that didn't do it for me. I still thought I could drink. But for some reason, the last time I drank, um, it did it for me. I had this moment where I realized, oh my God, it's all the same. Yeah. And if I don't stop, I'm gonna die. And for the first time in a long time, I actually don't wanna die. So wow. I had a man- That's a huge distinction. And I think yeah. that that's really important because I can totally relate to that. I can totally yeah. relate to that. Okay. You start to yeah. want to live. Yeah. That and hope. when you start to, yeah, you get a little bit of hope. It's like a hope. seed. Right. A seed of hope right. starts to grow. And over time, eight and 11 years later, you have a big tree of hope with beautiful leaves. Some are dying. Still cracked. Yeah. <laughs> some are dying. Some are fell off. But you know. where you come from, there's nothing. There's like a vast desert, and you have to plant yeah. a seed. Right. And so the 12 steps was my seed. Right. Um, a man took me through the 12 steps, an old timer, and, yeah. and he saved my life. Yeah. He saved my life. So I have to just give a shout out to this man because he told me to shut the fuck up, right. to sit down, and to work these steps because. I might have a chance at living a life. And so I have to just go on a little tangent. I love the 12 steps. I love the actual steps, 
Um, I think they're brilliant. I always tell people all the 12 steps really are. It's like 101 of spiritual life. That's it. Right. 101 of spirituality. It literally is like, hey, there's something more than you. And you should probably realize that if not, your life is going to be pretty fucked. Um, Your life is pretty fucked. So let's give it away. Let's do an inventory. Like, let's figure out why you are the way you are. Right. Let's get into the solution. Let's own our stuff. And then let's give it back. I mean, these are all spiritual principles, but for people who don't even want to hear that. so right. Or can't hear in another way. I like to think of the steps, and I think Gabo Rante said it too. Um, I just listened to this podcast, so that's why it's like in my brain, and he was talking all about recovery. But um, I do really believe that the steps are really a way to live a complete and authentic life. And that's yeah. really what the steps provide us. And anybody can do them because that's they're, exactly they're right. and they fit into, I mean, if you look at any kind of um, anonymous program, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, Alcoholics Ooh, Anonymous money. or Heroin Anonymous or Narcotics yep. Anonymous or Overeaters Anonymous, Codependence code Anonymous, yep. all of it. There's all the anonymous programs. They all work off of these 12 steps. And so they Fortune are, 500 companies have adapted the 12 steps for business models. Right. So there's things, this is just a way of getting more intentional, more present, more current, more authentic, mm-hmm. more complete in our living. So I do believe too that the um, the 12 steps were divinely inspired by a, a group of people. It was more than just one person. It was a group of people that divinely inspired the 12 steps of you know, the program. And it is the basis and the foundation for yeah. recovery and I completely yeah. agree like that is that is the that's the bedrock of yeah. all of it is the steps and this is where I'm going to point out some negatives because yeah, I'm too. just going to go there yeah, because I'm go there I, with you yeah. so my so part of my research I was um, really my specialty is like opiate and heroin addiction but I did study drug treatment systems around the world and so I'm really fascinated in why certain systems work when others don't. Mm -hmm. And the 12 step program creates connection. It creates an aftercare program. It creates, um, it rewires the patterns in your brain because you're going to meetings every day or a couple times a week. You're calling people, you're, you're creating good pathways in your brain and you're getting connected. No cost, maybe a dollar in the basket, but you don't even have to do that. There's no No, cost. You don't have to believe in God. I have to say this. Can we just put this out there? Because I think the biggest thing that stops people is this idea that they have to believe in God in a certain way that's that's not real. This is where I also want to talk about that too, though, because it does turn a lot of people off. Yeah. The God thing does. And no, you don't have to believe in God. And it is based in Protestant principles. It yeah. was created in a time in the 1930s by men, for mostly yeah. men, men, based off of the tenets of the Washingtonians and the Oxford groups who were Christian organizations. So, yes, they did take out the concept of needing to believe in one God. Yes, there's the, but it's there's the there. chapter about agnostics. <laughs> there's all that. But then we say the fucking Lord's Prayer in meetings. Yep. I never <laughs> I said the Lord's Prayer in a meeting. And people probably say, yeah. oh, look at that little resentful little girl over there not saying the Lord's Prayer. No, yeah. I don't say the Lord's Prayer. It was yeah. in every home that I was in when I was a kid. It was sewed on this huge thing on the wall, mm-hmm. the Lord's Prayer. And up until, I mean, it probably still is in some of my family's houses. And you should you should have been in those houses when I was a kid. Let me tell you what. There was nowhere where that Lord's Prayer was making any kind of significant change in those houses mm-hmm. when I was a kid. So yeah. there was no way I was going to sit in those meetings and say, 
the Lord's Prayer. That's just not my thing. And so it does turn. And so I was able to still sit in meetings and still be in meetings and stay sober. And those Christian and Protestant ideas really turn a lot of people off. Mm-hmm. And and because it is off of this idea of Christian beliefs, and it is an antiquated, I'm going to say an antiquated view mm-hmm. um, on recovery and addiction, mm-hmm. it completely leaves out the notion of the pain of getting into the program yeah. and the trauma that occurs underneath the surface there of we getting go. into the program. And so the it, idea of trauma. The idea of trauma. It negates all trauma. It puts all the blame on you. And I get it. As addicts and alcoholics, we need to take responsibility because there was mm-hmm. a long time that I didn't take responsibility for shit. But yeah. I remember when I did my first fourth step and I had to find my part in um, my parents' divorce I had to find mm-hmm. my part in some of the things that my mom and my dad did during that divorce to me, to mm-hmm. each other. Um, my mom, my mom, so my parents divorced because my mom came out in 1996 and I lived in Eastern Washington, very, very mm-hmm. conservative, um, very, very conservative location. You know, I have a, I had a pretty religious family, Lutheran and Episcopalian. Um, and the way that it happened was destructive to say the least. I mean, that was, that's a very bland way of putting it at that time. Um, and so to completely negate what happened during that as a result, I mean, it's no coincidence that my parents divorced in 1996 when I was 11. I took my first drink about six months later, you know? So, So there's a correlation there, but Alcoholics Anonymous negates the trauma that comes from that. And then also tells me that I need to find my part in it. And, Mm -hmm. and my part in it that I did find as a young woman in my twenties was that I still held on to it. Well, and that's, and that's what I always tell people when I do work the steps is look, your part is that you drank and you did drugs over it to the point where you're going to kill yourself. And right. and that's it. But it does. And but does Alcoholics 90, Anonymous give you, or I don't want to even say Alcoholics Anonymous, does the program in general give you a way of figuring out how to surrender, mm-hmm. figuring out how to let it go? No, mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. doesn't. It says and, pray about it is what it says. And so going back to that conversation of people, I know, I know I'm, I'm over talking to you and I'm sorry. No, it's good. Um, but going back to that conversation where people um, do have a hard time with the Christian part of it, it's kind of like this, it's this cyclical program. And then there's more, you know, there's there's other things in regards to the fellowship and the dogmatic quality. That's what I wanted to reach. So also, there's a, a cult-like mentality, which does happen. Right. And and I'm going to call that out too. <laughs> like, no, no, that's if exactly you, right. If you do not do what people think and say you need to do. And if you do not take advice from your sponsor, and if you, if you learn on your own or want to do something else, or you grow or you change, or it's not in the 12 step program, there's constantly, you're going to relapse. You're going to relapse. It's so, some of the things are so rooted in fear, which I have to say is, I don't think that's necessarily a result of the 12 step program because nowhere in any of the books does it say you have to go to a meeting every day. Nowhere in the book does it say you cannot date for your first year. Nowhere in the book does it say you have to call someone every day. I mean, none of Nowhere these in things... the book does it say you actually have to have a sponsor. No, the sponsor's not the even steps. in the in the in the pages. So all of these things are constructed by people over time, which it it is some of those things absolutely work. And I've oh, done sure. some of those things, but I also have not done some of those things. And so I don't think that you can justifiably tell people that if you're not doing it the way I want you to do it, when a lot of people, and I'm also gonna go here do not have um, any 
education, knowledge, experience with things outside of that. And so part of that's great. I respect lived experience. Oh my God, we oh, need sure. us. We need that. We have to have it. But there's trauma. There's adverse childhood experiences. Um, there is there's diseases, there's mental health, there's co-occurring, there, there are so many other things that go along in addiction. And it can be so dangerous if you have somebody who has no education, no experience, you know, and has two years sober, and is dictating somebody else's life in dangerous ways that are based off their own experience, experience. when they're not actually coming yeah, and their own fear base. So if you're getting sober, or if you're recovering, find what works for you. Right. And it changes. I mean, Nick and I talk about this, but what worked for me eight years ago doesn't necessarily work for me now. Right. I have new I have more tools. Some of the things do. I go back to the bedrocks of some of the things. But I also, you know, my yoga practice really works for me. That always has. But right. uh, consuming positive content works for me. I have different tools and we're allowed to grow. Right. Uh-huh. And creating that holistic approach to our recovery is, I think, what's so important and what is sometimes forgotten. And mm-hmm. so for me, in, in my experience, when I did get sober, I did also start getting into my body physically. And that's when I started practicing yoga and really creating a practice. And so yeah. my practice and my recovery went hand in hand. And I don't know what it would have looked like had I not had no. yoga. You know, yeah. I don't know if it would have changed because yoga created this fullness and this richness to my life that I didn't yeah. get, like my inner, my inner life, yeah, my inner life. And so I know we talk about that in step 11, you know, that mm-hmm. continuous contact with a power greater than ourselves or whatever have you. Um, but there was something that yoga gave me that I didn't get from the 12 steps rooms, Absolutely. but in 12 step, I also did get the fellowship. So I don't want it to seem as if I'm completely bashing the 12 step program. That's actually opposite because I would not be where I am today if it were not for the people, the program, the steps, all of that. And I don't want to negate that. And I want to open up a door to maybe more. And it's not an either or it's a both. And let's find more. Let's open it up because there have been many times that I have felt isolated as being a a part of a recovery program. Yeah. When I'm in a recovery program. Um, yeah. And, you know, I just, I just, I don't know. I guess I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say, but I'm trying to say that there's more than just one avenue. Um, and we, and I guess the biggest thing, what I, what I was told when, you know, I first started to take this venture into recovery was we get to create our recovery. That's exactly right. We get to create what it looks like. And just like Sarah Mm -hmm. said, you know, find what works for you. Find the people who Mm -hmm. you resonate with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a couple weeks ago um, in my yoga classes, I was, um, I did a seven week uh, kind of series around the chakras. And so in all my yoga classes, I brought in different aspects of the seven chakras. And I learned a lot and I really loved um, learning about the chakras. You know, happy to be done with them now because it's a little, I can be a little bit more spontaneous, but with our, our fifth chakra, it was our throat chakra, um, Vishuddha. And it's all about, um, the element associated that with it is sound. And it's all about, um, speaking our truth, speaking up, and then also listening and then finding those frequencies. And so one word that kept coming up when I learned about the throat chakra was resonance. And mm-hmm. what they talked about so frequently was, you know, when we get right with ourselves, 
So when we get right with who we are, when we find that balance of who we are, um, our, our frequency starts to change. The frequency and the energy that we put out in the world starts to change. It's like this invisible force that flows out from us. And then it finds those other frequencies that meet it. Mm, and those are, that. that's who we gravitate towards. And that's that resonance. And that's yep. where that idea of resonating comes from. And when, every time I would talk about it in my yoga classes, I would always think of the people that I met in recovery. Mm-hmm. Because I figure, I look at it as, at least for me, when I got the drugs and alcohol out of my body, and when I stepped both into that church basement, mm-hmm. and I stepped onto my yoga mat... Mm-hmm. I started to get into balance with who I am. So my frequency started to be like, oh, this is my truest, highest frequency. Like I'm getting yeah. there. And so then that would go out and I would listen to people around me. And my frequency would feel those people around me that it resonated with. And that's what I would think of when I would be talking in these yoga classes. It was this experience of early recovery for me. Was that's when I really started to learn what it meant to resonate yeah. And so it can I be people, places, that. and things. It's not just people. It can be, you know, places and things as well that we feel that frequency and that resonating with. So maybe that's why the steps or the books or whatever program you go to. But that does come up, I think, that idea of resonance um, with people in the, in, in the recovery program is what's so important. And the fact that, you know, there is no cost and people freely give their time. Absolutely. We about the idea of time is currency. Yeah. I think time is the most valuable currency. It is. And so there's no, a lot it, of people that take their time to do that. And there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of no, room to grow. Is. And I just want people to know that like recovery is accessible to you no matter what, mm-hmm. no matter where you are. Um, and it doesn't have to look the same. And I right. think that that's just like the most important thing is like nobody's journey has to look the same. Nobody's journey does look the same. Yeah. Solutions are going to be different. But the thing that I found in my own path to freedom, because that's really what I call my recovery, is I needed to attack it mind, body, and spirit. Mm-hmm. And those have been my key driving principles because I was so sick, my body needed to heal. I was so um, spiritually sick and spiritually broken that my spirit needed to heal. Mm. And my mind was such a mess that that needed to heal. So everything I've done and I still do is centered around this idea of, am I creating a holistic self care program for myself? You know, how am I showing up for myself? And it looks different. And I just don't want anybody to be put off thinking that their sobriety or their recovery has to look a certain way Mm -hmm. because that idea Will stop you before even starting. Right. Um, and I want to, I want to honor people's journeys, and I want to help people really understand that this is possible. And every single thing I have in my life today is a direct result of getting sober. Right. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. You know, I have a beautiful, amazing life, and so do you. Yeah. And so do a lot of people out there. Um, And that's the other thing. I choose not to live anonymous. And I made that choice. One of the most powerful things my mom did for me, my mom is my champion in my story. And she was my advocate and my cheerleader. And God, did I need one. But when I came out of the hospital, um, she looked at me and she said, you are not going to live in shame. You are not going to live in stigma. And you are not going to hide in the shadows. Mm -hmm. You are going to own your truth. You're going to step out in the light. And when you break a bone, it grows back stronger. And I had, I've never lived in shame. 
I've never lived in secrecy. I've never felt like I needed to be anonymous. And I respect people who do. That's your choice. But um, people need to know that people are recovering. People need to know that it is possible, you know, and and I fundamentally believe that. So, you know, this is just a little taste because God, we could go on and on. But um, whoever you are, wherever you are, I've said this before, but you deserve to heal. And don't let me or Nikki or anybody else tell you what that looks like, because chances are it's going to be so much more powerful once you start to build your toolbox and you find those tools that work for you. You're going to get ignited with passion and enthusiasm, and it's going to feel so good to rebuild your life. Not always. Sometimes it's going to feel really horrible. Sometimes it really hurts. You know? Yeah. And that's part of it. And that's part of like digging deep and learning how to be bored and uncomfortable. And I think that could be a whole podcast is how to get through those moments. But, um, you deserve to build your own life and ask for help when you need it and don't when you don't. Um, and all of it's okay. Yeah. So I just, I just believe in all of you, uh, because if I can do it, I damn well know other people can. <laughs> and, and if I can do it, is about to celebrate eleven years. It's it's, it's possible. possible. It's possible. It's it's possible. There's hope for all of us. And Sarah, I just want to acknowledge. I am so. I've always been so inspired by your transparency, and the fact that you don't live in that shame and that stigma. Because I feel like my experience <clears throat> was completely opposite. I know. <laughs> I know. Sober. It was dark and it was scary. And don't talk about it. And it's like. Nope. Yeah, don't um, talk about it. <laughs> trust me, everybody knew that I was a drug addict and an alcoholic. There was no hiding it. There was no hiding it. I was 110 pounds for a long time, maybe 120 pounds. And those of you that know me in real life, in person, I, oh my gosh, I can't, that was terrifying. And you don't want to see me there. But people knew, people knew that I was um, a drug addict and an alcoholic. Um, but for some reason, when I called it out, when I got sober, it was all of a sudden, don't tell anybody, yep. you know, don't talk about it. Don't say anything. And I do think that there, especially because of this idea of anonymity or anonymous, mm-hmm. you know, we don't, we don't talk about it, but the most powerful things that I've ever done, the most ex- powerful experiences that I have ever had, um, is when I open up about my experience, when I open about, yeah. open up about all of it. When I, when I talk about the traumas of my childhood, when I talk about the drug addiction and the alcoholism, when I talk about what I'm actually going through and share that with people and open up that door. Cause I spent a long time anonymous. I spent probably Mm -hmm. the first five and a half, six years of my recovery anonymous. People around me had no idea that Mm -hmm. I was a drug addict and an alcoholic. And people then that found out, they were like, you were a meth addict. Yeah, I know that's yeah. my favorite. You were a heroine. Yeah. 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 It was. Um, and, you know, over the last few years, at least for me, I have begun to open up more because I completely agree with Sarah that people need to see real people in mm-hmm. recovery, real people in recovery that are sustaining their recovery. And it mm-hmm. looks however it needs to look for them. So for me, my recovery is going to look different than how Sarah looks. My early recovery looks different than how it looks today. And I am still recovered. And for me, a big point of recovery is an abstinence-based recovery. So I do Mm -hmm. remain abstinence from all mind-altering substances, except for caffeine. Me too. Yeah, (laughs) except for caffeine. And then, you know, but other than that, like it is an abstinence-based program for me. 
Um, but that's really the only hard, fast rule that I have when it comes to my recovery. The rest of it is all, um, it's all Extra. like, it's all, well, and it's all like, what is it? Try and fail. It's all experimentation. Like, exactly. see, like, what do I need today? What do I, you know, I'm, I'm constantly changing and we're on these paths where we're constantly changing and what I need today is going to look different than what I needed 10 years ago. And what I need in 10 years is going to look different than what it does today, but it's all acceptable. It's all okay. Because like Sarah said, we do all deserve to heal all of us. And no matter what it is, whether you're a dry addict or an alcoholic, or you're struggling with whatever, whatever it is that you are using to regulate your inner state, that's exactly right. You have the ability and the privilege and the opportunity to heal from it and to be perfect, whole and complete just the way you are right here, right now. Um, we all have that possibility and opportunity. Um, and it can look however you need it to. And so and that's, for me, why I've decided to speak up and come out about my story and be really honest and authentic about it because, you know, it's, um, you, you never know who's going to resonate with that one story. It's and like, I'm so happy you have because people need to hear your story and people need to hear mine and people need to hear your stories, uh, people who are listening, whatever yeah. that looks like. I've just interrupted our conversation <laughs> because I realized that, um, Nikki and I have been talking for almost an hour and a half and I have some serious work meetings that I do have to go to. Oh my so, gosh, so funny. We have yeah, an internal dialogue about how to end the podcast. I'm just, <laughs> just going to jump in and say, I love you all. I believe you can recover. Yeah. Your story matters. And we'll Nikki's continue this matters. discussion. We'll continue this discussion yeah, because I do think that this one's week. really important. Um, but with all that being said, I do want to let you guys know, uh, do we have time to wrap up really quick? We have like Hopefully. three minutes. Okay. Um, so we do finally have an email for the podcast. Um, our email is wildandfreepodcast at gmail.com. Everything spelled out. So if you have any comments, questions, feedback for us, please email us. Let us know um, what you're thinking, good, bad, or indifferent. We can take it. We'll take it all. Bring it this way. And if there's anything that you want to talk about, um, anything that you're curious about, any questions for either of us, please let us know. Um, And we we love being here and we love showing up. Like I said, we'll probably continue this conversation next week because the recovery one is a big one. And there's a lot to be said, you know, there's a lot to be said. So I will starting. Oh, that's just starting. It really is just starting. We have some stuff that I'll add in, in the show notes, all the stuff we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Is there anything else want to add, Sarah? How can we find you? Where can we find you? So you can find me on Instagram at the sober Sarah. It's my brand new account where I talk about addiction, wellness, mental health and recovery. Wonderful. Where can and we find you? We, you can find me on Instagram at rise and align with Nicole all spelled out. So find me there. Um, I'm in the middle of my gratitude month. So I'm posting every day things that I'm grateful for. So check it out and join me even for the rest of the month. If you want to post about some things that you're grateful for, go ahead and put it on social media and then tag me and let me know. Um, so I think that's all we have for today. You can email us, you can reach out on Instagram, but we're so happy that you joined us today. We love chatting with you. It was a really fun discussion. Um, and we love you all. We do. And, and no, I can't wait for next week. Me too. This is like the joy of my life, honestly, right now. I love I know. It's so exciting. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to end it with the cards here again, because I want to remind you about your power. I'm going to remind me that I belong. And I want to wish all of us peace. But let's t- let's all take our power. Let's all remember that we belong. And let's all embody that peace going into the holidays. All right. Signing off. This is Nicole. This is Sarah. Have a good week, you guys. Bye.